Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, we're going to start a new series, and uh, the series we're, we're going to focus on, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this to his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 7 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, when Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth, then you better bank on it, right? So nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Now think about who he's speaking to. He is speaking to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now the, whole, the helper Jesus is referring to, the translators uh, do this, they capitalize that H to impress on its divine. So what the helper is, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. Unless he goes away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And he said it is to our advantage. Again, put yourself in the role or the shoes or the sandals, whatever they wore, uh, of these disciples. They have just spent the last three and a half years with Jesus. They've lived with him. They've ministered with him. And he says, it's better if I go away from you so that the Holy Spirit might come. The same advantage, the same benefit is for us today. I know there's times where we felt, man, I, what would it be like if Jesus was right here? Well, in essence, if you're born again, he is here. And listen, he said very clearly in Scripture that it is to our advantage that he goes away so that the Holy Spirit will come, and he has come, amen? Think about this. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he lived in a physical body. Lived in a physical body, and that, that physical body had limitations, for instance, if he was in Nazareth with his disciples, he could not be in, let's say, Bethany, where Lazarus was, and where his sisters, Mary and Martha, were as well. So he couldn't be at two different places at, at the same time. Now, with the advantage of the Holy Spirit, obviously, he doesn't have a body. He is a spirit. He is omnipresent. And not only that, the Holy Spirit could be at different places at different times, pouring out his power. He's not, it's not like this, that you have so much activity of the Holy Spirit taking place like today, right now, let's say. Let's say the Spirit of God is not being diminished by everybody tapping into him. He has all the power available. Just because he's everywhere and every, every place doesn't mean his power diminishes. The same power that Jesus had, the Holy Spirit has as well. So Jesus, think about this, the interactions that Jesus had with the Holy Spirit himself. Think about this, from his very birth, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So from the very beginning, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in the Jordan River. He hadn't done any miracles up to that point. He had never preached any messages, nothing. His ministry starts when he is baptized in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, anoints him. And then he does all these miraculous works. Why? The Spirit of God empowers him to do so. And also, Jesus was resurrected by the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for us in Scripture, Romans 8, 11. But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. It's, I like it how Paul writes that. He impresses, dwells in you twice. He wants you to understand that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you if you're born again. So today we're going to answer this simple question from Scripture. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? 
If we're going to have a meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit, because we should, because why? He dwells in us. Don't you think it's important to have a relationship with the, with the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and I? Sure it is. You know, he's just not there occupying space. It's not like he's just hanging out and just, you know, waiting for whatever. No, there is a relationship that should be formed with the Holy Spirit. And just because you're born again and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, we know this, that this has nothing to do with denominations or beliefs or anything like that. If you're truly born again, if you're a born again believer, it doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what denomination you're affiliated with. If you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Amen? So if you're Methodist, if you're Baptist, if you're Pentecostal, whatever, if you're born again, that doesn't matter. The same Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. So just by that alone, though, that proximity of the Holy Spirit being in you doesn't make you close to him. See, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not a force. He is a person. So as a person, you have to have a relationship with him. I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again. And Jenny's in here today, so she'll really understand this story. I don't know if she was there or remembers this, but she'll know the name for sure. I was on staff at a church. We had an older gentleman in our church named Morris. And uh, Morris was a great guy. just loved him. Morris was an older gentleman. And I remember one Sunday night, because I was in kids' church, I was a children's pastor at the time, and uh, Morris caught me in the sanctuary. We're talking, and we started talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says this to me. He goes, Pastor Jay, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. I said, Morris, what are you talking about? He goes, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. I said, Morris, you're freaking me out. What are you talking about? I said, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. What in the world are you talking about? So we talked about this a little bit further, and, and I finally figured out that, that uh, with a little bit more understanding that Morris, Morris equated the Holy Ghost to the activity of God. So, for instance, when we were in church, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit was present, or the gifts were in operation, or whatever took place, just that something that was in the atmosphere of the church, he equated that to the Holy Ghost. As we talked, I thought, okay, I'm getting it. Now, he, he never uh, misunderstood uh, this. He didn't say there was two spirits. He just, he felt like the activity of God was the Holy Ghost. So in his mind, I finally weeded through it, and I understood it. And again, it's a misunderstanding, and for the most part, it was harmless, but it showed me this. Even though this man had grown up at a Pentecostal church almost all of his life, had had genuine experiences, he didn't know who the Holy Spirit was from Scripture. And that is so important. There are so many Pentecostal folks that are like this. They know the Holy Spirit, they know about him, but they can't put the Holy Spirit together with the Word of God. And that is so important that we do. It keeps us away from so many errors and so many abuses. So Morris's misunderstanding, again, was for the most part, it was harmless, but again, it showed something about his understanding. And again, this particular situation, I'll be honest with you, was, fair, was really harmless. But his understanding of Scripture led me to this, that, you know, he doesn't fully understand who lives inside of him. Some people are emphatic when it comes to using the term Holy Ghost to identify the third person of the Trinity. And uh, if you prefer to say Holy Ghost, then, hey, go for it, right? Uh, God's not, he, God doesn't have an identity crisis. He knows who he is. Okay, so if you want to call him Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, it's all right. He gets it. But to, to do this, to say, no, it's only this term or the other, see, that's when we get into error. And I'll just be real honest with you. You know, the, the word that we translate as ghost or spirit is really not a good translation. 
the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament scriptures, right? And then the Greek, which are the New Testament scriptures. Check this out. The, the original Hebrew word is ruach in Hebrew, and it simply means wind, breath, or air. Here's another one. In the Greek, in the New Testament, if, you have, if you're a person who likes to work with tools, you should already recognize something in that Greek word, pneuma. It's where we, does anybody ever work with some pneumatic tools? Air-powered tools, right? It's where we get that word, pneuma. Okay, pneuma comes from, it's pneumatic. Also meaning wind, breath, or air. Now, the translators of the Bible were smart. They didn't put holy wind or holy air, okay? Because what, what would, that would almost identify, it would confuse us as a thing. And the, the Holy Spirit isn't a thing. He is a divine person. The scriptures reveal him as a, with a person with a personality. So just to kind of give you some history, I, I love doing history. 1611, you know, in 1611 when the King James translation was uh, uh, created, we spoke differently. The English language was completely different. There are words that were used during that time that we don't use anymore. Uh, there, there are certain uh, uh, ways we use words that have changed over time. So today, in our English language, the word spirit has replaced ghost in most, in, in most cases. The reason why, in those days, ghost primarily meant this, an immaterial being. And I would say this, the Holy Spirit is an immaterial being. He doesn't have a body. He is a spirit. So that word would have been fine in 1611. But listen, when we say ghost today, especially if you deal with kids, or ch you, want, you say ghost and you have a completely different meaning. Why is that? Because the language has changed. Listen, the word hasn't changed, but our English language has changed. And so we have made that shift from ghost to spirit. There are some people who say this, that is a total delineation from Scripture, and they're just out of their mind. They don't even know what they're talking about. Because, frankly, it's air, wind, or breath. Every time I say spirit under breath, you can go ghost, okay? I don't care. You're not going to bother me. You know, I love Morris. He's since went home to be with the Lord. But at the root of Morris's misconception concerning the Holy Spirit was a mixture of religion, tradition, and he had genuine experiences with the Holy Spirit, or as he would say in his day, the Holy Ghost. So there was a mixture of this. When Morris was young, the Holy Spirit would visit his church, and the people would, would relate to the Holy Spirit, and they, they, you know, the, the power of God would be flowing. But in that time, when he was younger, all they had was the King James Version. So guess what? When the Spirit of God was moving, people would say the Holy Ghost. And that's all it was. It was just his tradition, his understanding. And he was trying to describe to me, in the old days when the Spirit of God was moving, we would refer to him as the Holy Ghost. And you know, at that time, at that place, the Holy Ghost was moving in our church. And that's all he was trying to tell me. And again, I could have cut him off and just said, you're a kook. But I just wanted to listen to what he said, because I knew he was a good guy, and he loved Jesus. But that's all it was, just a simple misunderstanding. But here is the important thing. Those misunderstandings can lead to problems. It can lead to problems. Some of us have traditions and beliefs concerning the Holy Spirit that really don't fully line up with the Scriptures. Some of you have experienced or witnessed events take place that were attributed to the Holy Spirit, and it left a bad taste in your mouth. Some of you have never genuinely experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life, and I'm telling you, it's a promise in God's Word. Some of you are resistant to the Holy Spirit because either you don't know, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing. I always say this, I would rather be ignorant than stupid, right? 
Ignorant you could fix, but stupid, as we know, is very hard to fix. May I reassure you this, though? When it comes to the Holy Spirit, he is neither kooky nor spooky. He's not kooky or spooky. Now more than ever, we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, in our church, in our families. We need the power of God in operation in our lives. So misconceptions of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does can cause some problems. And again, that's why we need the scriptures, Old Testament and New, that we look at and we base the work and the personality of God based on the scriptures. And there's nothing wrong with having an experience with God. But at the end of the day, our experience with God also has to line up with the scriptures as, as well. Let's give you an example of this. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. These three are in agreement with each other. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit will always come into agreement with each other. The same Holy Spirit, think about this, the same Holy Spirit who inspired these writers of Scripture is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. He is the same Holy Spirit that is active in our lives. He is the same Holy Ghost that will visit our services. So these will come into alignment with each other, agreement with each other. So if they don't come into agreement with each other, there's a problem. Through the years, I've witnessed the Holy Spirit being blamed for things the Holy Spirit never did. So how do we know? How, do I, how can we come, can come to that conclusion? Some of you just say, well, I just know my, my spidey sense kind of raises up. Something in me is like, that just don't seem right. And, and granted, there are things, if you read the Word of God, there are some weird things that take place in the Bible. But at the same time, you can't create a whole doctrine over those, those odd experiences. So here is my point. We look at the totality of God's Word when we're establishing these things. So how do we know whether things are kooky or things are of the flesh or, just, or if it's God? And again, the Word and the Scriptures will not conflict with each other. They'll agree with each other. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. So when we look at this verse, God, the Holy Spirit, is not the author of confusion. So if something is attributed to the Holy Spirit and it contradicts with scriptures, it isn't the Holy Spirit. At the same time, we can misrepresent or misunderstand the scriptures. Please hear me, this is just as dangerous. Because we think in a Pentecostal church, in a Pentecostal world, or maybe you've had bad experiences in a Pentecostal church, you think, man, those people are completely bonkers. They're out of their brains. You know, they, they totally misinterpret the scriptures. But at the same time, you can be so closed-minded because of fear or a bad experience that you can have a wrong interpretation of Scripture and shut down the Holy Spirit in your own life. Both of them are equally wrong. Both of them are equally Isn't this what happened with Jesus when he encountered the Pharisees? I mean, he is the Word of God made flesh. The Pharisees loved the Word of God, memorized the Word of God, just poured themselves into the Word of God, tried to make every aspect of their lives about the Word of God. But when the Word was made flesh, they missed him, and they rejected him. Why? They had a poor interpretation of Scripture. The same can happen when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In most cases, when you find mistakes that are attributed to the Holy Spirit, most of the time, it's just zeal. I don't, I don't think most people are trying to mislead us. There's just zeal. Have you ever been around someone who is zealous? And when you get zealous, you sometimes just get stupid? 
It happens. It's happened, it's happened to me before. Zealous. And just, we, we attribute that zealousness to the Holy Spirit. And again, most of these situations are just zealous heirs. They're, they're, not, they're not purposeful. They're not trying to hurt him. They're not trying to hinder him. People just get zealous. God, God ministers them. God touches their life. In most cases, this is what leads to some things being attributed to the Holy Spirit that aren't. I had a pastor friend of mine tell me a story years ago about a man in his church who had recently got saved, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One Sunday morning during worship, there was one of those worshipful moments. You know, it was kind of quiet, and people had their hands lifted. And he goes, thus saith the Lord, happy birthday, pastor. You know what? Zealous. Just zealous. But he didn't know nothing about a Pentecostal church, but he had seen some of the gifts in operation, and he's excited, and it was the pastor's birthday, and he, he thought that God wanted to tell him happy birthday. I don't know, but here's the thing. The man wasn't being malicious. And see, we can look at that person, look down our nose, but listen, I would rather have someone zealous than someone dead. See, zeal, zeal can cause error. I understand that. And a man with zeal, I admire the zeal. But here's what happens. When it comes to zeal, zeal, if it's corrected, is good, but it shouldn't be extinguished. shouldn't be extinguished. That, that causes a lot of problems. If a person isn't receptive to correction from the Bible, then you have another issue, and you take a different stance with them. But most people will honor correction if you do it in love and with respect. We should be very cautious when it comes to attributing something to the Holy Spirit, though. Jesus shares this stern warning in Scripture, Mark 3, 29. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now, that is a serious and stern warning. And I understand Jesus was ultimately, ultimately referring to denying the, the, the uh, uh, convicting power of the Holy Spirit to bring us to repentance and salvation. I understand that's the ultimate thing what he's talking about here, what he's, he's trying to communicate is that's the ultimate blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. But I would say this as well, we should never rep misrepresent the Holy Spirit because we are falling into that category. Give you another story, true story, playing a church softball game, and uh, our team was playing defense, and a player on the opposing team gets up, and I mean, he hits a rocket, a line drive right to our shortstop. Shortstop just jumps up in, uh, in the air, Snags the ball, makes a great catch. As soon as he gets on the words, uh, the, the, the ground, he says these words, the Holy Spirit told me. And I said, what? What? The Holy Spirit told you to make that catch? And I would say this, he'd been around the, the but he's still, he'd been saved for a while, but he's still a novice about certain things, just, just naive. I think in his zeal, he felt like his, his softball instincts was the Holy Spirit, when it was just his softball instincts was all it was. And some of you would push back and say, well, you know, what gives you the right to judge that and make that conclusion? It's easy, it's easy, it's called the Bible. Um, I don't find anywhere in Scripture, not, again, I'm not trying to be silly or anything, talk about softball, but I'm just saying I don't find anything that would find a similar grounds to make that assertion. Right, so that's why I would say that. it's called the Bible. And that's what we do when it comes to our experiences with God. We line them up with Scripture. So nowhere in Scripture would that man's assertion line up with the Word of God. And by also, why would catching a line drive at a church league, why would that glorify Jesus? Because you have to remember this. Ultimately, that is the goal of the Holy Spirit. 
It's even recorded here in Scripture. Jesus talks about this in John 16, 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, so we know who we're talking about here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not, not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Look at this. He will glorify me. Jesus is saying that he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. When this gentleman made that catch, he didn't glorify Jesus. And listen, if he would have just patted himself on the back, there would be nothing wrong with that. He made a great play. It was. It was an incredible snag. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't the Holy Ghost. He just made a great play. And really, I think when it comes down to it, and I look back, he was really just kind of trying to fit into our church. And he thought, I think, in his own right, in his own mind, he's thinking, if I make this catch, I attribute it to the Holy Spirit, I just kind of have more of a camaraderie with this church I'm going to. And he didn't need to do that whatsoever. He made a great play. If any of you have played sports at any time, uh, in any sports, you know this. You have these instincts that kick in, right? And sometimes those instincts are wrong. But when those instincts are right, man, you just feel like, man, I just, you know, like you just hit the lottery, right? I mean, if you're playing in the field, you have the sudden feeling. If you're playing baseball, I need to shift over three yards and maybe up a couple. And the ball's hit short, and you're able to snag it. Make a great play. Why is that? Because your instincts. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's just you had an instinct, right? It's hard to explain, but it's just there. And I think that's what a lot of people do. Things they have a hard time explaining, they sometimes attribute it to the Holy Spirit. But again, the same Holy Spirit that works in our lives also inspired the writers of Scripture. These two will not come in conflict with each other. So you say, what's the harm in that, Pastor Jay? What's, what's, it's, it does this. It, mis, it misrepresents the Holy Spirit. What if somebody would have heard that and walked away thinking, man, I guess the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in softball even. I've heard people in church attribute behaviors and reasonings to the Holy Spirit when in reality it was just their flesh. Just their flesh feeling and responded to the Holy Spirit rather than actually being the Holy Spirit. At the same time, I've seen people do this. They've, they've experienced the move of the Holy Spirit, and rather than accept it or embrace it, they reject it because of fear. Because, because whatever it is, they, well, that's just emotionalism. And what they do is then they begin to push away the Spirit of God. And that is, again, just as dangerous. That is just as much as a blasphemy as anything. Church, this will help us. A little humility goes a long way. A little humility will always go a long way, keep you from falling into these extremes. Just a little bit of humility will help us. The Holy Spirit isn't a thing or an impersonal force. He is a co-equal, co-existing member of the Trinity, of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit isn't from God. He is God. Each member of the Trinity has a distinction within the Godhead in regards to its function and personality, but all three are equally God. I've used this before. I'll say it again. <clears throat> Sometimes we think in the Christian world of the, of the Godhead is this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's incorrect because it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal members. There's no imbalance in the person of God. I'll give you another example here in Scripture, Matthew chapter 3, 16. When he had been baptized, we're talking about Jesus, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, 
my beloved Son, in whom I well please. You have all three members of the Trinity active in this, this two verses here. Jesus in the water, the Spirit of God descending upon you. And listen, the Holy Spirit isn't a dove, okay? He's not a dove. He's not saying that. It's descended like a dove upon him. And the Father speaks from heaven, saying, This is my Son, in whom I well please. All three members of the Trinity active together, co-equal members. The Holy Spirit is God. And that's one of the things we have to get into our minds when we think about who dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. So all three working together, active members of the Trinity. Think about this. Some people are confused when it comes to the Holy Spirit. They think the Holy Spirit just kind of suddenly shows up in the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit has always been. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit, and he's active at creation. Here's another thing in Genesis, another verse to look at, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, according to our, and again, plural likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of, of the earth, over, over all the earth, and every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God is referring to himself as what? Us. Who is this us? It's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And church, I know this is no mystery, and this is just good Christian uh, uh, doctrine, that it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, you're Methodist, you're Pentecostal. We all share this view of the, the Trinity. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he doesn't make his grand appearance in the New Testament. No, he has always been, he is, and he will always be. So as born-again believers with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we need to know the Holy Spirit, and we need to know him, and this is very important, to be able to know him and discern him from our own feelings and emotions. This is where a lot of... Uh, misconceptions come when it deals with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we pawn our feelings, our emotions, and our actions on the Holy Spirit when it was just us. So the Word of God helps us to discern what the Spirit of God is saying to us, or what we think He's saying to us. Give you an example, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, I always thought, why does my soul and spirit need to be separated by the Word of God? And it goes on in the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God does it like a sword. And here's why, again, the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. And this is very simple. What happens is that sometimes we get caught up in emotion or we get caught up in a situation we're thinking about it, we're processing it, we're going to the Word, whatever. <clears throat> and what happens is, we begin to listen to our own voice and we make a decision. We mistake that voice, or maybe we just do this. It's what we want to hear, so we've got to run with it, rather than what God has said. It's very easy. Because again, most of us sitting here don't hear God speak to us audibly. I'm not saying He can't, I'm not saying He won't. But for the most part, he speaks to our spirit. Why does he speak to our spirit? Because our spirit is born again. Our spirit has been made new. 
Now, our flesh, our mind, our will, and our emotions, that's another story. They ain't saved. They aren't born again. They have to be renewed. They have to be transformed. Some of you know this. If you served Jesus for a long time, you understand this. When you first got saved, the way you thought you did things is completely different from how you do things today. Why is that? Because you've grown and you've matured spiritually. You understand certain things emotionally, certain things from your, your will and your intellect. You just don't do anymore. Why? Because you've grown as a Christian. And this is why God speaks to us, to our spirit. And that's why the Word of God has to separate spirit from soul. Because what takes place is this. Sometimes we just want God to speak to us in a certain way. We want him to do what we want him to do. But he's God. He's going to do what he wants to do, right? We need to find his will, his perfect will, and live by faith according to his will. But sometimes we just get so caught up that we justify, I really feel like, I really feel like God's telling me to do this. How many of you have heard people say, I really feel like God told me to do something, and you do flat out it wasn't God because it just didn't make any sense? It happens. Sometimes we just get so tied up emotionally or mentally in a situation that we confuse God's voice for our own voice. And that's why we need to separate those two. We need to have them discern. Because I'll tell you what, church, you can get into a lot of trouble with this in here, but this will always keep you straight. The Word of God will always keep you straight. So remember, the Word and the Spirit are always working together in agreement with each other. And again, I've heard the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, blame for some things he's never said. And because a believer was unable to discern their own voice, from the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, this happens more frequently, frequently than it ought to. So knowing the Word is vital to knowing the Holy Spirit. I know this seems simple, but I want to, again, impress this point again. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. And if, again, if there's any confusion about this, let me just kind of settle in with this, this story here quickly. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias <clears throat> with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also bearing aware, being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Look at those words, to lie to the Holy Spirit, and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Verse 4, while it remained, was it not yours, your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Did you see it right there, though? So earlier, he said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And he comes back, he says, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God, because God is the Holy Spirit. So God is the Holy Spirit. Now, that changes everything when you think about it. Who dwells in you? God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're born again. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Again, the Spirit of God dwells in you. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. And I think the more, the more we grasp that truth, we understand it, the more it really helps us to interact with the Spirit of God who dwells in us. I don't think we take it so flippantly then. Oh, it's, it's you know, just the... Holy Spirit, whatever that is. No, that's God lives in you. Do you understand? God has taken residence in you. According to the Scripture, both the Father and the Son are in heaven, correct? Romans eight thirty four. Who is he who condemns? 
It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. The Father and the Son are in heaven. They're at the, the Son is at the right hand of the Father, makes intercession for us. But who lives here among us? Who dwells with us? Who dwells in us? And it's the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said it was to our advantage that he goes away so that the Holy Spirit might come. So the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you if you're born again. So do you know the Spirit of God who dwells in you? And I'm going to ask you again, if you know about him, do you know him? Do you know his voice? Do you know when he's speaking to you? The Holy Spirit isn't a thing. He's a person. He has a personality. Again, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So if you can grieve the Spirit of God, that tells you that he has an emotion, right? He has emotions that we, he deals with. So if it means that he's grieved, he can be upset. <clears throat> he can be sorrow. We know this. God was sorrow. There was sorrow that he expressed in the Old Testament. Same with the Holy Spirit. He can mourn. The flip side of that as well. If he can mourn, he can be happy as well. The Holy Spirit can be happy. He can be joyed. He can be delighted. He can be made glad. Knowing the Spirit of God has feelings, doesn't that help you know the Spirit of God better? That you just don't have a thing in you. You have a person who dwells in you, who communes with your spirit, and you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We can tell again that the Holy Spirit, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, here is an amazing thing. Think about this story. <clears throat> and you, we take that story and put ourselves. Why would we ever lie to the Holy Spirit? He's all-knowing. He's, he's everywhere. He's ever-present. He's omnipresent. So if you're born again, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you, and he knows everything. Imagine this. Let's say there's a situation in your day, and there's an encounter with someone. It's negative, and it's hateful. It's mean. But on the outside, you're cool as a cucumber. You look great. But inside, man, you are a spitting tax. And then the Holy Spirit comes alongside you, just how he always does. Say, why are you so angry at that person? I'm not angry at that person. You just lied to the Holy Spirit. Why would we ever do that? See, I'm telling you, if we really grasp who lives in us, if we really think about who lives in us, maybe the next time when the Holy Spirit says, why are you angry at that person? Instead of lying and being dishonest, won't we just be a little bit more transparent? Because he already knows he already knows. So listen, it just does this. What it does is deflates all the pride. It de deflates all the ego. It deflates all the shame. So again, it helps us to be more honest and transparent. It's the benefit of knowing who dwells in you is the Spirit of God. Remember John 16, 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit, again, as the Spirit of truth. And he dwells in you and I. Here are some other things regarding the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through these really quick. I want you to just think about this. This is who lives in us, and this is how we interact with him, and this is what he desires, and this is, again, how we have a relationship with him. These verses kind of cover all this. So we should obey the Holy Spirit according to Acts chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. The Holy Spirit empowers us according to Zechariah 4, 6. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit guides us, Romans 8, 14. <clears throat> The Holy Spirit comforts us in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit convicts us in John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit teaches us in John 16, 13. Look, the Holy Spirit has life. He gives life in Romans 8, 2. The Holy Spirit has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The Holy Spirit is omni omniscient. He's all-knowing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The Holy Spirit is eternal, Hebrews 9, 14. 
The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, Psalms 139.7. Again, this list goes on and on, detailing who the Holy Spirit is, and we need to get to know him better because he lives in us if you're born again. The Holy Spirit wants to be an active part of your lives. And knowing that he has feelings, knowing that he has an intellect, knowing that he has a will, knowing that he is a person helps you to interact with him. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think it's kind of weird for some of you. You'll say, Heavenly Father, you'll say, Lord Jesus, but why don't you address the Holy Spirit? Is he any less God? The answer is no. Why would you not speak to the one who dwells in you? Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. Open the word. Holy Spirit, speak to me. These are just basic things, right? Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. The Spirit will give you the words to say when you're put on the spot, when, when you need to testify, whatever it is. Spirit of God, give me the words to speak. We need to interact with the Holy Spirit more. Amen, church? We as a church need to interact more with the Holy Spirit. Without the help of the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't grow. We won't mature as a follower. We need the power of God. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is what? Liberty. Freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being what? Transformed into the same image, into the image of Christ. From glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. If we're ever going to change, we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to mature, it's going to be by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings us freedom, liberty, transforms us, empowers us to live the life of Jesus. And it all starts at New Birth Church. If you're born again, the promise is to you right at that point. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.